Amen. Fantastic. Well, it's it's great uh, to be together this morning, and um, I just want to start this morning a little bit differently, and I want to start this morning by asking you to use your imaginations. Um, and it might be that if you're comfortable, you want to close your eyes to help you to kind of get away from, you know, all of the lights and where we are and the people around and, and things, but just to, to start by asking you to use your imaginations, okay? Here we go. So I want you to imagine that instead of being sat here in Cornwall where it's damp and wet, that you're in a land that is hot and dry and dusty. And instead of being stuck here in a huge building, sat on a, on a seat, that you're sat by a huge lake. And there are boats out fishing on the lake, and there are people around who are, are bustling and going about their business. And instead of it being the 21st century, it's the 1st century. And, and so everyone around you, and you yourself, you're wearing robes and tunics and sandals. You're in the land of, of Israel. In fact, you're at the Lake of Galilee. And it's 2,000 years ago. You're Jewish. And you love your land. And you love the nation of Israel. But then as you look around, as you're seeing the fishing boats and the people and the bustle and the hustle. You see some soldiers. And you're reminded that all is not well in this country that you love. And the reason why is because you live in a militarized zone. You live in a land that is occupied by the Roman Empire and they've been here for about 70 years now. And as you see these soldiers doing their security rounds and forcing people to pay taxes to the Roman Empire, you're reminded, uh, you can't help but think of your uncle. Who used to farm some land up in the hills, but he's been forced to sell that land in order to pay the taxes that just seem to keep going up and up. And now he works as a slave in the olive orchards that his family used to own. Things are, are not good. But then in the distance you see a crowd coming towards you and you, you start to get excited. You've heard reports of this Jewish prophet, a teacher who's traveling around Galilee with this explosive message which is drawing crowds wherever he goes. And people are coming to him who are sick and they're being healed. And today Jesus is coming to, to where you are. That's why you're sat at this lake. You're waiting for him to come so that you can get a glimpse of him, so that you can hear what it is that he's going to say. And Jesus arrives and he starts to teach. And as you listen to his teaching, what is it that you hear? Just use your imaginations. Imagine that you're there listening to Jesus. One of the crowd on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. What do you imagine Jesus is saying and teaching? What comes to mind for you? And whether you've been in church for, for years or whether you're still wrestling over who Jesus is and not really sure about the whole thing, no matter where you're at, all of us can use our imaginations to think about what we might hear if we were there that day listening to Jesus 2,000 years ago. 
And you know, actually what comes to mind for you and what you imagine you might hear Jesus teaching and talking about shows you a lot about what it is that you think of Jesus, who you think he is and what you think he's all about. And maybe what comes to to mind for you is the golden rule. You know, Jesus famously said, do to others as you would have them do to you. Maybe what comes to mind for you is is Jesus' moral teaching and his teaching on how to live and his teaching of how we're to be people who love, how we're to love one another. That's how people will know those who follow him, how we're to be people who love not only our neighbours but even love our enemies. Maybe what comes to mind for you is a parable. And what you imagine and what you imagine is that Jesus starts telling you this story about sheep or trees or coins or whatever it is all to, to make a point. And these are all things that Jesus might say. But this morning as we continue our series, Jesus in Focus, I want to try and help us to bring into focus not just one small part of Jesus' teaching or something that he taught as a one-off, but the big message of Jesus. The big message that he was always talking about and always coming back to and how everything was really just a way that he said was really just a way of unpacking or explaining this one thing. In fact, you know, across the four different accounts of Jesus' life and death and resurrection, across the, 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 the Gospels of Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, what we find there is uh, that makes up 89 chapters in the Bible. And within these 89 chapters, Jesus references this one thing 87 times. That's nearly once in every single chapter. And yet while Jesus has this big message that he's always coming back to and that he's explaining and that he's unpacking and that seems to sum up everything about who he is and what he's about, it can be easy for us to miss it. And we don't actually talk about it very much. So what is it? What's this theme that Jesus always comes back to and that seems to sum up what he's all about? Well, I think this is it. And this is what we read in Mark 1, verses 14 to 15. Mark writes this, he says, After John was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said. The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus travels around and teaches, the good news that he's sharing with everyone is that the kingdom of God has come near. So repent and believe. And you know, the reason I think that it's so easy for us to kind of gloss over this or to miss it It's because for us today, this announcement doesn't make an awful lot of sense, does it? We don't have a a framework for understanding the kingdom of God. What's that? What's it all about? We don't really use the word repent in our kind of everyday language outside of, of church. And so we have no idea why this should be good news for us. And so instead, what we we tend to do is that we focus in on the parts of Jesus' teaching that we can understand, and that do make sense to us, and that are practical, and that we can get our heads around, and we focus in on that and kind of gloss over the other bits, because what's it all about anyway? 
And if we're not careful, what happens is that we end up missing the big picture. We miss what Jesus was really all about. And then our understanding of who Jesus is and what he's about and what he teaches becomes distorted and it becomes out of focus. And so this raises a big question for us. If the good news of Jesus is that the kingdom of God is near, if this is what is central to all of his teaching and every miracle that he does and everything that he's about, if the kingdom of God is it, then what on earth is the kingdom of God? What does it mean to say that the kingdom of God has come near? The kingdom of heaven is near because it doesn't make an awful lot of sense, does it? And for us to begin to understand this, I think we need to understand something of God's big story. We have to look back at the storyline of the Bible, which is really the storyline of our world. And so, this is going to be a bit different today, and we're just going to do a bit of a rapid overview. A rapid overview of God's big story through the Old Testament, and how this helps us to understand the theme of the kingdom of God. Because it's so important. And here's a quick question for you to get us started. Where do you think the idea of the kingdom... This idea of ruling or reigning first appears in the Bible. Any ideas? Right at the beginning? Yeah. I can only hear Heidi. Somebody else might have said something, but you might be sat too far back. Sorry. But right at the beginning. You know, the first time that you find this idea of ruling or reigning or kingdom is actually in the very first chapter of the Bible. In the very first chapter of the book of Genesis. You know, the Bible begins in in Genesis with God as this kind of royal artist, as he just kind of creates this world of beauty and wonder out of chaos. He speaks it into being. And then after he's created everything else, he creates people. He creates humanity. He creates you and me. And so we, we live knowing God. Not only as our creator, but knowing him with us. And there is this perfect joy and peace and beauty in the world. God is the creator and he's king. But then he chooses to share his authority with us. What he, he does is he installs humanity as the rulers over the earth. That's what we read in, in Genesis 1 verse 28. God gives us the purpose of ruling over the earth and representing God to creation. So the idea is that God is our king and he rules over us, but then we rule over the earth on his behalf. And so this means that as human beings, we don't just inhabit the earth. We don't just live on the earth. We rule over it. We have responsibility for it. And that's why as, as human beings, for, for better and for worse, we're able to shape it and mold it and use it. And as we do that, we we have to make decisions about what is a good way of doing things and what's not such a a good way of doing things. And in making these decisions, we're, we're faced with a choice as to whether we'll rely on God and how he defines good and evil, or whether actually we want to try and redefine good and evil around what we want and around ourselves. 
And so in the beginning, God is king and he appoints us to rule over his creation. And then humanity decides, actually, do you know what? We think we know best. We don't like the fact that while we get to rule over creation, God, you're the one ruling over us. We don't get like the fact that you get to, to decide what's good and evil. We want to decide. We want to know what's good and evil for ourselves. And it's like there's this hostile takeover. As we throw off God's authority and we reject him as king and we establish our own kingdom. Where we're in charge. It's the kingdom of the world. And it's as we seize the wheel, as we try and take control and put ourselves in charge of our own lives that things start to go horribly wrong. This is why the world is messed up. This is why the world is full of suffering and pain and brokenness. It's because human beings have rejected God's rule. Rejected God's kingdom. Rejected his presence and his blessing and his protection. And we've established our own kingdom instead. And so what's God's response to this? Well, what he does is he sets in motion a plan to re-establish his kingdom in this world. But he doesn't do it in the way that you would expect a king to do it, where he kind of raises his army of angels and sends this great force in to take over and demand that everybody submits to him again. He does it by singling out one family and calling them to be his people. He forms them to be a community that is meant to put on display for the whole world to see what it looks like to live under God's rule and God's reign. What it looks like to be part of God's kingdom. So that all people would see that and they would be drawn back to God and they would come to that place of submitting to him and accepting him as king. That's what God's interactions with Abraham are all about. God says, you will be my people and I will be your God. I will bless you. And through you, you will be a blessing to the whole world. The whole world will be blessed because of you. Because they will see how I have blessed you. They will see how I've always designed things to be. How I've designed it for me to be the one in charge. For you to be my people. That I'm the one who rules. For you to live under my blessing. They will see all of that. And they will come back to me to be part of my kingdom. To accept me as king. And then we see the same again with Moses and with Joshua. And God leads the Israelites to the promised land in order to establish a nation there. And that this was meant to be the nation where God was king. And again, it was about putting on display the kingdom of God for the whole world to see so that they would, or everybody would be drawn to them. This wasn't exclusive. This wasn't about God having favorites. This was about the whole purpose was to draw the world back to seeing God as king again. But just as Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden messed up when it came to relating to God as king, so the nation of Israel messes up in that way too. They say, we don't want God as our king. We want to have a person as king, just like all the other nations. We want to be like them. We want to rule ourselves. We want to be the ones in charge. 
And because they reject God over time, the nation of Israel crumbles until they end up in exile. And yet throughout all of this, Israel's prophets, those who who have kind of kept this focus on God and are listening to God and, and are searching and wanting God's rule, they continue to speak about this hope that one day God will take back his world. Why don't we watch a quick video about how the prophet Isaiah talks about this in Isaiah 52. There's this beautiful poem. It's in the book of Isaiah. The city of Jerusalem has just been destroyed by Babylon, a great kingdom in the north. And all of these Jewish people, they've been sent away into exile. But a few remained in the city. And they're left wondering, what just happened? Has our God abandoned us? Right, because Jerusalem was supposed to be the city where God would reign over the world to bring peace and blessing to everyone. Now, Isaiah had been saying that Jerusalem's destruction was a mess of Israel's own making. They had turned away from their God, become corrupt, and so their city and their temple were destroyed. Yeah, everything seems lost. But the poem goes on. There's a watchman on the city walls. And far out on the hills, we see a messenger. And he's running towards the city. He's running and he's shouting, good news. And Isaiah says, how beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news. Beautiful feet? Yes. The feet are beautiful because they're carrying a beautiful message. What's the message? That despite Jerusalem's destruction, Israel's God still reigns as king, and that God himself is going to one day return to this city, take up his throne, and bring peace. And the watchmen sing for joy because of the good news that their God still reigns. So despite the fact that not only humanity, but even the nation of Israel rejected God as king, The prophets, they keep hold of this hope that one day God will reclaim this world and establish his kingdom. And through that, he will bring salvation and rescue to all people. That all people will who will accept him as king and who will live under his reign. Okay, so this brings us back to, to where we were at the start when you were imagining yourself there 2,000 years ago as this Jewish guy waiting at the Sea of Galilee looking forward to hearing what it is that Jesus has got to say. And now hopefully you've got a bit more understanding as to why the kingdom of God would be a big deal to you. It sums up everything that you're hoping for. Freedom from the the Romans and a new life experiencing what it is to live under God's rule with his blessing. And so when you hear Jesus teaching and he says, the kingdom of God has come near. You sit up and you pay attention. This is big deal. This is amazing stuff. This is what it is that you've been waiting for and hoping for for generations. This is the moment when God is going to to step in and rescue you from slavery. He's going to overthrow the Roman Empire. He's going to reestablish Israel as a great nation, this country that you love. This is the moment when you will begin to experience and to live in God's blessing. And part of what 
the hope was, part of the expectation, part of it they'd got completely right. You know, Jesus, Jesus didn't get crucified for going around teaching that everybody should love one another. That wasn't what was so controversial about Jesus. He wasn't executed for being a moral teacher, even though that's so often what we kind of think of him. He was executed because he presented himself as king. As being the one who would reassert and reestablish God's kingdom over the nation and over the people of Israel. But the way that he talks about it, the way that he talks about the kingdom of God and what he does with his life to demonstrate what the kingdom of God is all about takes them completely by surprise. That wasn't what they were expecting. You know, Jesus didn't talk about power and try and raise up this army and rally people to come and to, to fight with him. That's what they were kind of expected to be happening. Instead, he says, here's how power works in the kingdom of God. Those who think they're most powerful, those who think that they've got the most to offer, do you know, they're actually the least important, the least powerful, the most ignorant. And those of you who think you have the, the least to offer, those of you who, who are filled with shame, do you know you're the poor in spirit and yours is the kingdom of heaven? Yours is the kingdom of God. Jesus says, in my kingdom, what it looks like to rule is to serve. And to constantly look to the interests of others. Even when that's at the expense of your own. Jesus flips everything upside down. That's why he says that the first will be last and the last will be first. And again and again in his, his teaching, Jesus speaks into our, our deepest motives and our fears and our values and the way that we do life. And he deals with our, our hearts. And he forces us to face up to the darkest parts of our characters. So that we can be set free as we submit to him and allow him to be king. He wants us to bring every area of our lives to him. To submit to him. And to allow his mercy and his love and his wisdom and his compassion to transform us. And to change our perspective as we begin to see that we live with him as our king. He doesn't want any part of our lives to be independent from him. And this is massive. If we're going to bring Jesus in focus, this is so important for us to get hold of. You know, I love that Jesus is my saviour. I love that because of his sacrifice, I can know forgiveness. I love that I can be set free from guilt. I love that I've been adopted into God's family, that I'm a child of God, that I'm loved by him, that I have an eternity in heaven to look forward to. I love that Jesus is my savior. It's an amazing truth. But what Jesus says is that if you want to be set free, if you want to receive forgiveness, if you want to live knowing my presence and with my blessing, in your life, not only now but for all eternity, then the starting point for all of that is that you have to bow the knee and you have to submit to me as king. And this is why the Christians became 
known for and executed for saying over the next couple of hundred years one simple statement Jesus is Lord. Jesus is King. And it was this claim to be king that upset so many leaders in Jesus' day. So why don't we watch a bit more of the video and see what this claim to be king meant for Jesus. So the word gets out that this Jewish man from Galilee is talking and acting like he's the king of Israel. He's appointing 12 disciples, which are an image of Israel's 12 tribes. He's healing people forgiving people their sins. And all of this so threatened Israel's leaders that they finally decide to have him killed. And Jesus let them. Yeah, which is a weird thing to do if you're trying to become king. That's right. But for Jesus, this is what had to happen. Jesus saw the sin and the devastation of his people Israel as just one small part of the entire human condition. How all humanity has rebelled against God, resulting in the tragedy and devastation of our whole world. So how is God going to bring his reign over such a world? Jesus believed it would be through an act of sacrificial love for his enemies. This is why in the Gospels, Jesus' crucifixion is depicted as his enthronement as the king of the Jews. Yeah, he receives a crown. He also receives a robe. He's exalted up, not onto a throne, but onto the cross. How beautiful are the feet that bring good news. And the good news now is that Jesus has defeated death and that he reigns as king, that he's dealt with our sin and corruption himself and that he's conquered it with his life and with his love. And then Jesus sends his followers to go out and keep announcing this good news of the upside down kingdom and to invite everyone to give their allegiance to him, the king who defeated death with his love. That's what I believe that this morning's really all about. It's that Jesus is reaching out to each and every one of us today, and he is inviting us to give our allegiance to him. To in a fresh way submit to him as king. Because you see, if you're anything like me, and I think, you know, in this way we're probably all alike, We all have a tendency to want to rule ourselves. You know, theoretically, we might agree that Jesus is king, but practically, the way that we think and the way that we make our decisions and live life so often drifts back to putting ourselves in charge. To putting ourselves on the throne. And we live as if we're king of our own lives. We drift back to thinking that we know best. To putting ourselves first. And to building our own kingdom. And when we do that, in effect, we are pushing God out. And at some point or another, it always ends in a mess. And so Jesus comes to deal with the root of this issue and to call us back to him. And he says, come, 
follow me. Jesus is constantly reaching out to us with compassion. He's constantly reaching out to us with forgiveness. He's constantly reaching out to us with grace. There's never a point where he writes us off. But as he does that, his invitation again and again, how he's calling us to respond again and again, is to follow him and to make him king. To allow him to rule in our lives. And and this is a radical call. This is a big deal. This is a a call to, to leave to one side your own agenda. And to follow God. It's a call to submit to Jesus' teaching and the way of life that he not only teaches, but he demonstrates. It involves how we use our money. So that we don't hold on to it all and live a life focused on ourselves. But we're able to give it away and be focused on others. It involves serving those in need. It means letting go of the offenses that we, we feel. And forgiving people, not because they deserve it, not because we feel like it but because we're submitted to God as our king and it's what he calls us to. And this is radical. This is hard. But the reason that this is good news is because Jesus' promise is that as we submit to him, as we make him king, what we will find is we will find life and life to the full. What we will discover is the way that God always intended things to be. The kind of relationship God always intended us to have with him. The kind of way of doing life where it's not all on our shoulders and it's not overwhelming and we don't have to worry and fear and try and keep everything going because it's not about us, it's about him. It's about living life, enjoying his presence. Strengthened by his grace. And his promise is that when we make him king, we become citizens of God's kingdom. Not only now, but for all eternity. You know, there are so many amazing promises that we have in Jesus. But you know, while the Jews got confused about the kingdom of God in one way, I think this so often can become how we get confused about the kingdom of God in a very different way. Sometimes we see the promises of the Bible and the fact that we're now citizens of the kingdom of God and living under God's rule. And so we find it hard to then understand why things go wrong and bad things happen. Why it is that we get sick. We wrestle with it because it doesn't make sense to us. We're not, we're, we're, we're now citizens of God's kingdom. We're living under his rule with his blessing, with what he has for us. Surely this shouldn't happen. And when Jesus prays for the believers, for for those who follow him, in John chapter 17, he says in verse 14 how his followers were not of the world anymore, just as he's not of the world. We're now citizens of the kingdom of God. But he also says in verse 11, that while he is no longer in the world, that we are still in the world. And so he, he prays, Holy Father, protect them. And so what we've got to understand is that when we make Jesus our king, an amazing thing happens immediately. 
in an instant. And we become citizens of the kingdom of God. Our relationship with God is restored. We, everything changes. We receive forgiveness. We're able to live life with God's presence with us and his blessing for us. But we're not yet living in the kingdom of God. We're still living in the kingdom of this world. And all of its brokenness. And all of its mess. And so we face the consequences of that. And that's why Jesus prays, Father, protect them. Because they're in the world. Because he knows what it is that we're going to have to go through. It's like if you can imagine you're living in a, in a poor country like Malawi or Burundi or somewhere like that. And life is hard and it's a struggle. You have few opportunities and no real way to change your situation. No real way to get out of the country. You're stuck. But then the Queen of England comes to visit. And she says, if you'll acknowledge me as your ruler, then I will make you a British citizen. And so you do. And you receive a British passport. And you can now say that you're a citizen of Britain. But you're still living in Malawi. You now have access to the British embassy, to a privilege and to resources, to a way out of the country that you can look forward to. You've got so much that you never had before. But you're still living in the poverty of Malawi. You don't have access to the full riches that you would have if you were living in Britain. Does that make sense? And so while we become citizens of the kingdom of God, when we accept Jesus as king, our relationship with God is restored and we receive grace and we receive access to forgiveness and God's blessing and his work in our lives and his presence with us in every moment and it's fantastic. But until the time that we are living in the kingdom of God, we still face the consequences of being in a broken, messed up, world. And it can be rubbish. And there are amazing times when when God breaks into this world and he answers prayer and he brings healing and provision and we, we see him transform situations. And I love it when we see God move in these different ways. But it's almost like we've just visited the embassy and we've managed to get a, a, a kind of an inkling. We've managed to step in and receive a little bit of what it would be like. But we're not yet living in the kingdom of God. And so there are also times when we simply face the consequences of being in this world. But in the midst of it, we can have hope. We can have hope because we know that we're not of this world anymore. This isn't our home. This isn't where we belong. We're only here temporarily. We've got that passport which gives us access to the kingdom of God. Now while we're in this world, God has has promised to be with us. God has promised to provide what it is that we need. God has a purpose for us in this life. There's joy and meaning and great stuff that God has for us in this life. But there is a time which is coming when we will not only be the people of the kingdom of God, we will be living in the kingdom of God. 
And that's the day when there'll be no more sickness, when there'll be no more tears, when there'll be no more mourning, when there'll be no more pain, when there'll be no more sadness or dying or no more insecurity or fear or anxiety. That's the day when we'll see God face to face. That's the day when God will walk with us and we'll receive the fullness of everything that he has for us. That's the day that we hope for and we long for and we look forward to. And the way that that begins is when we respond to Jesus' invitation to come follow him and to make him king. And so this morning, Jesus is inviting us to respond to that invitation. To submit to him. And how does he say that we do this? He says, repent and believe. You know, often I think that we, we kind of misunderstand this word repent. Because I say it's not a word we use. We don't use it outside of church. We've got no context for it. Which doesn't, you know, apart from what you're told here... Nothing else is, you kind of know about it. Sometimes we end up thinking that what it means to be repentant is to simply feel really bad about something. And that if I feel really bad and really guilty and I'm really sorry, then I'm really repentant and that must make me more spiritual. Or, or maybe we've grasped a little bit more about what it means to repent and we see it not just as about feeling bad, but about actually turning away from sin, actually stopping wrong behavior and a wrong lifestyle. But you know, actually repent means more than either of those things. What the word literally means is a change of thinking. It's a change of mind. So what Jesus is saying is that God's kingdom is now available. There is an alternative to this self-absorbed, selfish, self-focused way of thinking of this world. And the way this kingdom of this world works. You don't have to live that way anymore. So change your way of thinking. Change your mind. Change your perspective. Change what it is that you've based your life on. Stop trying to be king and to rule your own life. Submit to God as your king. Base your life on the kingdom of God and what it is that I teach you that this looks like. Change your thinking and live in a new way. So to repent isn't just to to feel bad about something. It isn't just to stop doing wrong things. Both of those are, are, are kind of needed in there. But to repent is a complete change of direction. Of your life. So that instead of heading in your own direction, you're heading towards God. To you stop trying to rule yourself and to be the one in charge. And you allow God to be king in your life. And so Jesus is inviting us to live in a new way and to think in a new way. That's a massive thing. That it would actually change the way that we think. But when we accept him as king... We can start to live loving others. Even those that are hard to love. Because we know Jesus as our king. Pouring a constant stream of unconditional love into us. And modeling to us. What a lifestyle of love looks like. We can live as generous people who who don't have to try and hold on to what we have. And keep it all for ourselves. Because we know Jesus as our king. 
It's the one who has everything that we need and can provide for us and we can trust. We can live and be kind and forgiving as people who have experienced the forgiveness and the kindness of God. So when we accept Jesus as king, we become citizens of the kingdom of God and then we begin to see our situations differently. We begin to make our decisions thinking differently because we're people who are living in the presence and the power and the the love of God and under the reign of God because we're people of the kingdom of God. That's what it means to repent. It's to submit to God as king and then to allow that reality to change your thinking. As your thinking changes, it changes the way that you live. And when we understand that this is what it means, to repent then becomes something that we can do every day. Something that we need to do every single day. And sometimes it involves dealing with sin. That's often where we think of repentance. I've done something wrong, so I need to repent and deal with that sin. Sometimes repentance involves dealing with sin. But sometimes it doesn't. Sometimes repentance is about saying, I... I'm going to live a life of love. I'm going to live a life of submission to God. I'm going to live in this way which honors God as my king. Nothing to do with dealing with, with sin. It's to do with dealing with where, how it is that we're living and who it is that's king in our lives. And in my experience, this is something I need to do every day. Because I know that if I don't continually make this decision that I'm going to make God my king, that what will happen without me ever intending it to, just because it's the natural pull of my heart, is that I will end up putting myself back on the throne again. And before I've even realized it, without me ever meaning to, the way that I'm thinking, the way that I'm making decisions, the priorities that I have, what it is that I'm doing, are back being focused around me. And I'm just living for myself. I'm ruling myself. And so that's what I want to make time for us to do this morning. And this can be hard. It's hard to really, in an honest way, allow someone else to be in charge of your life. It is, and we shouldn't downplay that. We shouldn't make it that this is some kind of easy thing that we just do. It's hard to surrender control. It's hard to submit to God. But that's what it means to follow Jesus. And he says, this is the good news because as you do that, you will discover life as I really intended it for you. Life to the full. So as we let go of control and we allow God to rule, that we're able to experience his peace. And his presence in such a deep and beautiful way. And I know all too often, I'm sure you do too, it's when I try and hold on to things that I lose all of that. And life becomes hard. I'm eaten up with worry or anger 